Ellum, she hates mankind and waits till America spilled. To drop a limb on the head of him that anyway trusts her shade. But whether a lad be sober or sad, or mellow with ale from the horn, he'll take no wrong when he lieth along neath oak and ash and thorn. Sing oak and ash and thorn, good sirs, all on a midsummer's morn. Surely we sing of no little thing in oak and ash and thorn. Supercalifragilisticexpialidopist, this is Dope Movies and Shows. I am Nat. With me, as always, is the Honorable Sir Hemingford Gray. How are you, how my dude? Oh, I'm very good, Nat. Now we're all on the same sort of time. All of our summer times are sorted. It's a lot better. Yeah, I think this yeah. is the uh, second time that our recording was uh, kind of an offset or delayed because uh well normally we're we're uh, a certain amount of time apart that i won't i won't state here on the air but uh where i am uh we change our clocks we fall back and we spring forward uh and that reduced the amount of time between us and i thought okay okay i just have to remember a new a new time gap there we go everything's fine so we scheduled this episode and uh you're like hey we're we're recording a at, at, at three right like yeah yeah we are so I'll, yeah we'll record at three uh, okay it, it's three. Oh, uh what am i am i going crazy right now am i insane am i unable to do basic arithmetic and and then you informed me that you also change your clocks um and i didn't know you people you hondurans changed your clocks <laughs> so that that was a that was a bit of a cultural exchange for me um all right, let's let's talk about some some weird movies and stuff. Today we're going to talk about the merging of live action and animation in movies. Uh, and we're going to go with uh, all the classics today. We're going to first talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Then we're going to move on to uh, Mary Poppins and Song of the South. And then we're going to close it up with Cool World. Okay, but uh, let's start with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So... For the longest time, this uh, was the only movie that I had seen starring uh, Bob Hoskins. Now, I don't really count, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the Mario Brothers movie since he he transformed into Mario in that movie. So I don't even I don't even think Bob Hoskins was in it. If you look at the credits on Wikipedia, it's just Mario Mario as himself. That's how amazing an actor Bob Hoskins is. I'm still yet to enjoy the Mario Brothers movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you poor soul. Wow. So I, I, I guess you've never lived then. You've just never yeah, yeah. lived. <laughs> we even call you human. So, yeah. Poor, poor old Bob Hoskins. He really got banged up during this movie. Have you ever seen any of like the making ofs or or heard him talking about it? No. No. He what, was what, literally. What he was literally black and blue from being thrown around during the filming of this film. He did suffer for his art during this film. Wow, okay. Interesting. So, I mean, they they were throwing him around so that he would have like a more realistic uh reaction to the the cartoon hijinks going on around him, I yeah, guess. I th- like I think um is there isn't there a bit where he gets thrown in some dustbins or something like that? There, there's I, I think that bit was the bit where he got really banged up because I think it, I think he was like being dragged around because 
because the um, animation was overlaid over the top, I think he was like just literally, literally whipped around by like pneumatic devices. Wow. Yeah, I mean that that really uh, lends to the kind of production values that went into this. So this was released by Touchstone Pictures, which is actually I was under the impression that so the, so this movie is it just just for anyone unfamiliar let's just say basically what the the overall thing is is uh this is sort of a um detective adventure movie kind of like dick tracy or something but it takes place in a cartoon world uh particularly the the world where all cartoons live so if they you know the, the conceit being like that anytime you're watching a cartoon that's actually taking place in another dimension where all all the cartoons live together and this uh this movie does a great job of getting cartoons that you know into the movie so it's sort of like the smash brothers of cartoon movies because it takes like you know it, it it's a movie where you where you will see like um goofy and bugs bunny in the same scene together um well it's like there's being... the piano scene isn't there between um do you remember um Daffy Duck and Donald Duck, where they're playing the they're playing the um, song together and fighting each other at the same time, aren't they? Right, and 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 it took a, a like a, apparently a gargantuan amount of uh, like bureaucracy to get this to happen because like practically every single frame of the movie had to be uh, vetted by all of the rights holders. So, which is mostly Warner Brothers and Disney. But um, anytime they they were using uh, uh, trademarked characters, um, they needed to you know any any frame that they had it, they needed to vet this with people. And these uh, these rights holders had had opinions about how things needed to change. So it's like, oh, you can't have th these two characters in, in 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 the frame together, you know they, that sort of thing. Um, they needed to to micromanage this, but I think it was uh, it was worthwhile because as a kid, I didn't I didn't really get this movie so much. I didn't really even like it that much but i really really liked the idea that all these characters i knew were in there so it was uh it was pretty clever but this was i didn't think this was released by you know one of the major animation companies i thought it was sort of like a third party but uh touchstone pictures there was, there is was actually... also another another part of the um a part of the part of the agreement was i think it's like i'm not sure whether it was just like i think it was just like the main players so like so like bugs and bugs and Mickey and um, uh, Daffy and Donald had to have exactly the same amount of screen time. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, I have heard about that as well. And uh, so the uh, the, the studio which actually did release this was uh, kind of the the mature branch of uh, of Disney. So uh, I, I never knew that. It's it's not. I mean, if you watch it, and it's kind of it, it. It really speaks to kids and adults. I mean, kids will just watch it superficially, yet the adults will kind of get the the more mature undertones of it, won't they? Well, I mean, then there's also Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> of course, there's Jessica Rabbit. Uh, I would say that she is the most enduring uh, part of this this movie's like I don't know content. It's lore legacy. Uh, it's legacy. Well, I don't want to say that because there are other things I want to talk about related to its legacy. Yeah. Um, I would say, though, that of all the, the characters and the story, like, I don't think many people really remember what this movie's actually about. Like, if they saw it, you know, when they were a kid or something and, and they're adult now, like, what, what is it really about? Right. 
but but they'll remember Jessica Rabbit. You know, I I would imagine that Jessica Rabbit constituted like ninety percent of the world's cartoon porn at one point in time. <laughs> I, th- I think she still probably has a good good proportion of that today. I would I would bet you're right, actually. Just you know, if when if you have a monopoly on market share for long enough, it just uh, <laughs> you get to hold on to it. Yeah. Although I would say anime probably has usurped uh, <laughs> her throne, but uh, yeah, like Jessica Rabbit is one of those characters that introduces kids, like awakens them to the idea of sex. You know. <laughs> I think she's supposed to be like because this this is in, in many ways this is like a traditional uh, film noir, isn't it? And she's obviously the femme fatale, isn't she? Exactly. Yeah. But the twist is that she's like married to Roger Rabbit, right? That's why her name is Jessica Rabbit. And Roger Rabbit is not like a he's not a Chad like Bugs Bunny. He's he's this goofball. I would say that he's sort of Chad in his own way, but he's certainly not the uh, who we would call Chad. Um, He's uh, <laughs> he he's just a big goofball, and he's always he's always bopping around. He ha- he's kind of like um, I don't know. He's some combination of uh, uh of, of of Bugs Bunny and uh, Daffy Duck. Maybe Daffy Duck, but like when these when these characters are sort of going insane, you know, they're like uh, when they're you know strumming their lips like you know uh, uh or hitting themselves in the head with a mallet and then like a cuckoo clock comes out of their ear like that's um that's more like uh, uh Roger Rabbit he's he's kind of an annoying character and and this is you know for the purpose of the foil between him and Bob Hoskins right yeah well it's uh, Bob Bob Hoskins uh, Bob Hoskins has a quite quite justified um dislike of tunes doesn't he he's a very serious guy He's very, very stiff-lipped. Uh, he's trying to do his job, and uh, I mean, he's a he's a racist. He's an old, old white racist. <laughs> let's just get. Let's just say it. He's he's a racist against tunes, and uh, and that's not okay. <laughs> but I, I didn't even know Bob Hoskins was a was an Englishman. Watching this, it didn't even didn't even strike me. Um, honestly, like he looks so Italian. He looks so Italian. I just assumed he was Italian American. Right, he looks like a Danny DeVito kind of, and he's any. You don't realize what a good actor he is, do you? I mean, obviously, you have recently. You watched um, what's uh, what's the, the Long Good recently, Friday? Um, Long Good Friday, and there was some great acting in that. But in this way, he's still a great actor, but he just has a different job to do, doesn't he? You know what? You know what good acting is. Good acting isn't. You know what? It's impossible to see good acting because you can't notice good acting unless you're looking for it. Um, if you're watching the performance to evaluate the acting, that's the only time you can determine good acting. Because you know what, good acting blends into the into the into the film, so you're not even thinking about the actor. Well, with a with a good actor, you believe they're that character, don't you? Exactly. You just think about the character. Yeah. And yeah, so Bob Hoskins doesn't get in the way of what's going on. He uh, he just feels right. And so so this movie kind of, mm, I, I think. Uh, we we talked about its legacy earlier. It, it it I don't think it actually really left that big of an impact on people in terms of the the film itself, the content of the film itself, or even course, the character of Roger Rabbit. I mean, he didn't have any. I think there there were a few animated features, weren't there? But he never kind of um, stuck as a character, did he? Exactly. Uh, uh, this this movie just 
isn't very memorable aside from Jessica Rabbit. I'm trying to think of other like sexy cartoon characters. I mean, I guess there was Betty Boop and you could kind of see similarities between those two characters. Uh, Bugs Bunny when he pretended to be a girl bunny. Oh, that's true. And of course, there's Lola. (laughs) I think Lola Rabbit, Lola Bunny uh, from Space Jam. But that, of course, came much later. That was about 10 years later. We're not. Oh, we, why aren't we talking about Space Jam in this episode? <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen opportunities. Space Confession: I've never seen Space Jam. Oh man, it's like uh, like all the movies we're talking about, including Song of the South, are extremely white movies. Ironically, yeah. for Song of the South, it's. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Space Jam is like the. Uh, I mean, I don't know who made it. It was probably white people overall, but it feels like that was sort of the. Um, the concession to non-whites in America, because it's like it's basketball, you know. Basket Americans, <laughs> basketball, <laughs> basketball <laughs> Americans. Finally, a movie starring basketball Americans like Michael Jordan. And basketball tunes as well. Uh, but actually, Space Jam is is pretty good. Um, the animation is really good in that one. The production values are really good. You should check it out. But. What I wanted to say was that the real legacy of Roger Rabbit is in the uh, the the technique of merging uh, real people with fictional or non-existent settings in in the process of filming. Yeah, in a kind of obviously it was done in Mary Poppins, but but in Roger Rabbit it was done in a very real way, wasn't it? You you can you can almost believe that that it was how it's portrayed that you know uh, bob hoskins was acting with an animated character exactly i mean they went i would say they probably uh went further than many cg films do today uh when roger rabbit jumps into uh i can't remember bob hoskins character's name but eddie valiant (laughs) i prefer to call him bob hoskins though (laughs) if you if you don't mind um, no problem. Uh, even though he becomes his characters, I still uh, Bob Hoskins is to me a character. <laughs> so when Roger Rabbit jumps into Bob Hoskins' uh, trench coat, uh, he's sort of like, uh, 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 and this is sort of a cartoon trope. He's sort of crawling around inside of his clothes, and so you you see Bob Hoskins' clothes like uh, sort of sort of bulging out and and moving all around, and this is actually happening because they put like mechanisms inside of his of his coat to to make it look like that there's that great line in this scene isn't there is that a rabbit in your coat or you're just pleased to see me (laughs) (laughs) well uh, they they actually created like machines to mimic the look of of uh, old animation and uh i think in cg films today where actors are i mean i would say that most of the time they're interacting with nothing. They're in, they're they're just sort of doing a uh, like when you do an audition for for uh, an acting gig, you're sort of just standing in front of uh, some producers, some some staffers, or whatever, um, or you're submitting a, a, a sample reel, um, and you're just sort of acting out a scene on your own. You're alone. You're just you're just demonstrating your acting abilities in in, in isolation, and maybe someone's reading a, a script to you, and that's basically how. Uh, that's that's basically how how they how they film CG. Yeah, I mean the the other bit that sticks out to me. Do you remember the bit when he when he's hiding uh, Roger in the sink 
and then Roger's head comes up and he spits the water out. Right. You obviously know that's like some sort of tap that comes out of the, but it's still a great effect, isn't it? Right. It is. Uh, it, it feels so super real. It's a it's a mix of I guess what you could call CG, which is uh, cell animated graphics, um, <laughs> and and practical effects. Uh, and you can just imagine how much uh, how much better and more convincing they can make it with CG today. But it, it's not bad. It's not bad. I think all the all the best films. I've, uh, I think if you want to do a truly great film, whether it's a horror film or or a film like this or whatever, I think CG is good. But I think you still need a mixture of CG and practical effects to make it to make it that little bit more real, don't you? I I think you're right. It's it's always the scenes where like. All you have is just the character, the the actor on screen in front of a mm. green screen, while like I don't know, like a a boat is blowing up around them, and everything is CG except for the person. And then you start to get this sense of unreality. But that's almost yeah. every movie, every action movie, every fantasy movie is like that. It harkens uh, to me. It harkens to. Uh, the story of, uh, of of the filming of, of the Hobbit, uh, Peter Jackson's uh, Hobbit movies. There's a pretty um, iconic uh, photo taken from that set, where the dude who plays Gandalf, uh, Gandalf, uh, uh, Ian McCollum, I think. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. He's uh, he's he's on the set of uh, I think it's the 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 Hobbit's house, and all the dwarves have gathered in there with him. Except all the dwarves in the uh, in the shot are not actually on set with him. They are just little uh, little faces printed out on paper and like taped to chairs and like little uh, uh, overhanging <laughs> arms and stuff. You know those like uh, gaffer mm. arms and whatnot. And so they're yeah. all placed like roughly where the faces of the characters should be. Um, but ultimately, Ian McKellen is is acting alone. Is talking to himself, yeah. and he said, "Like you know, if um, if this is what acting is now, I don't want to do it anymore." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I think I think time was like back in the day. I think they'd probably just use little be- little people for the rear shots, wouldn't they? Just to make it that little bit more convincing. Yeah, they would. Uh, I mean, now, I mean, the reason that they, they they filmed that particular part of the Hobbit that way is is so that they could take you know non dwarf people. Uh, uh, you know, normally proportioned people, and they could use CG to uh, kind of squanch them into uh, into their their size and position. But I suppose they would they're probably filling uh, filming the dwarves in a different set at like a normal sized table uh, in a normal sized room, and then they're just like taking all those characters out and putting them into the the Hobbit's house. So are they, um, are they looking at a gaffer a gaffer boot with uh, Gandalf's face on it? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, yeah. I want to see the. I want to see the flip side of that. That's actually very, <laughs> yeah, very salient point. <laughs> or when, when filming the part where the Hobbit goes into the treasure room with the dragon, do they have an enormous treasure room filled with gold, and then a big, <laughs> a big printed out poster of a dragon's face on a on a giant gaffer arm? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I remember like... someone talking about making a film. I can't even remember what what film they were talking about but it, it, i think it was heavily cg'd and literally this person was talking about acting and they were talking to a tennis ball on a stick <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so uh, uh, what the hell were we talking about? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, CG. One one last thing I wanted to mention about CG was um, even in horror films now they, they've started using CG blood. Have you noticed that? Now? I mean, I I kind of uh, have for a long time. I've been barking up this tree where I expect that most of our movies will just become uh, just just CG films. They will become. 100% CG but you won't be able to tell you know yeah i mean they get they're getting there they, it's like I, I remember like the do you remember the flying car from um from back to the future that really looked out of place things look less out of place but you can still tell it's CG can't you but it's it's getting a lot better yeah and also what they're doing is they're laser scanning a lot of actors faces so they will be able to use the likenesses of these actors when they were in their prime uh, for 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 generations. Yeah, it's been in a couple of the um, Marvel movies, hasn't it? Um, Ant Man, you've got like a I call it de aging. I think it's probably it's just the way I describe it. Mm-hmm. They do it to Michael Douglas, don't they? Um, I think the new the new Captain Marvel movie, they do it to Samuel L. Jackson. And then in Avengers, they did it to Tony Stark, um, Robert Downey Jr. That is a little bit different from what I'm talking about, because um, like that's applying digital effects to an existing likeness. Yeah. Here, it's like uh, like Scarlett Johansson had her uh, uh, likeness scanned a, f- a few years ago. I want to say like six years ago. So that's her exact likeness circa 2013. So you can mm-hmm. have uh, 2013 Scarlett Johansson in your movie 90 years from now. <laughs> and it will sound just like her also because, you know, you can take an actress which, who sounds similar or not. But you could probably just take all the audio from every interview and every movie and everything that Scarlett Johansson has ever done and uh, put that through an AI and have uh, a, a baby basically have text-to-speech so you don't even have a voice actor all you have you're just you're just feeding the script into a computer so even actors are getting replaced by robots then <laughs> yeah actors being automated out of existence i mean of, of course the um you, you'll still need an artist to uh, uh fill in the emotions right you'll still need an artist to kind of give inflection to each line i suppose you could also the writer could do that by putting little markers in the script saying now at this point she's sad but well if they're they're building up a a library of likenesses then surely they're building up a library of emotions as well so maybe even that part won't be needed well i guess you you could have an ai to automatically interpret like how does scarlett johansson sound when she's sad how does she sound when she's angry how does she sound when she's a badass um and and if you just tell the the script okay this is a badass line it should be able to discern how she sounds when she's badass and Hmm. no one really cares about scarlett johansson's acting when she's badass we just care about her ass right (laughs) so put use that likeness in movies in the way that it it pleases people and literally when you're 90 you may be seeing new films with scarlett johansson in them well i mean uh, it could even come to a point where you'll have new laurel and hardy movies or or new uh, marx brothers movies i well maybe um i think there's going to be a cutoff point we may find ourselves languishing in like it's sort of like the matrix um 
the matrix, the world of the matrix, the virtual world is supposed to be based on like the peak, the pinnacle of human civilization, which apparently was 1999. I'd believe it, even though it's uh, centuries in, in the future from when the film was made, the, the virtual world is perpetually in 1999. We may find that we are perpetually in 2019 for the rest of human civilization, at least in the West. At least in the West, so basically, we'll we'll be in a perpetual like post diversity, um, <laughs> a, a cultural malaise. I was thinking of a future a little bit more grubby than that. I was thinking of the the future from the Running Man. You remember where um, where where Arnold Schwarzenegger character Arnold Schwarzenegger's character gets gets uh, killed by uh, Jesse Ventura's character, and it's all made up, and they broadcast it on TV, so then they can go and kill Arnold Schwarzenegger's character at their leisure. Right. Right. No, what you're talking about is too cool. Like, dystopias are too cool for where we're going. The real dystopia <laughs> is is that nothing that absurd actually happens, and we just sort of move on with just, like, ho-hum, kind of pleasing, lukewarm uh, culture that just sort of, it, it, it just appeals to the sensibilities in a way that's fun, in a way that's kind of dumb, but not so dumb that it's like, dumb people start to realize it. And uh, and all of this started with Roger Rabbit. No, I'm not, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Do you think they'll be sending uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger back in time to kill the to kill Robert Zemeckis to uh, to stop the Roger <laughs> Rabbit future. <laughs> well, I would like to see a, a, actually a Roger Rabbit Terminator crossover where Terminator <laughs> goes back in time to kill Roger Rabbit. And then, you know, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Well, it was the Terminator. <laughs> well, just a, just a quick like um I think we're done with Roger Rabbit now but talking about the about the book it's based on in the in the book it's based on Eddie Valiant is is trying to trying to solve Roger Rabbit's murder. Oh, okay. Huh. And was it the Terminator in that book? Quite possibly. You never know. You'll have to read the book to find out. Yeah, well, when people talk about the um there was supposed to be a a, a Roger Rabbit 2. Um and people were really excited about that because like, oh, now you can incorporate all like the uh, the CG stuff and um, you can um, cameo all these all your favorite CG characters that have come about in the last 20 years. When you like to when you like to see Solid Snake in a Roger Rabbit movie. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> we, well, we kind of have a movie like that um, with um, Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of like a. a whack it wally because i could only think of the w in my head um wreck it ralph uh very very interesting alliteration there uh but uh that has all of the video game characters in it right it does it's basically roger rabbit for video games already i haven't seen it but i believe it does yeah it has like street fighter characters and i'm pretty sure it has some nintendo stuff and uh yeah well wreck it wreck it ralph is like a, a donkey kong um analog is he? he's yeah wreck it ralph is sort of a donkey kong parody um but you know there's there's real life video game stuff in there and uh also the all the characters are similar to roger rabbit all the characters are uh like parodies or, or, or homages to popular archetypes in in video yeah. games same as roger rabbit who's like Roger Rabbit is a rabbit, you know, and a reference to Bugs Bunny and whatnot. Lots of cartoon rabbits. Um, 
and uh, uh, Jessica Rabbit is an homage to sort of the uh, the sexy girl archetype that you'd see in a, a, a like like pinup girls, um, and uh, and and of course Betty Boop and that sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so so Roger Rabbit, perhaps I would say the the pinnacle of this genre. So, uh, but but it, it also was sort of a, a kind of an anachronistic thing, right? Uh, this well, this film sort of uh, briefly revived the uh, live action animation genre. Uh, why don't we go back to some of the more classical entries with Mary Poppins and Song of the South? So we're going from uh, the the pinnacle of movies to the pinnacle of Cockney accents. <laughs> 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 That's right. Now, we chose to do these two movies together for a reason. <laughs> because well, we have a movie that's that's very innocent and pure and wonderful, and a movie that is racist AF. Which one's which? Because uh, because Mary Poppins was embroiled in some co- co- uh, some controversy recently, wasn't she? Absolutely. And did you and see that, that one? I, uh, yeah. I I I I seem to remember it, but yes, uh, uh, Mary Poppins is uh, is of course brutally racist, and uh, <laughs> I mean, I was I was offended the entire time. And, and and tell us, I believe there was some controversy recently. Was it? Uh, it's the bit where she goes goes up the chimney to uh, to see Bert. Um, she reapplies her her blackface, right? AKA soot. <laughs> she she uses soot as makeup, and uh, apparently this is racist. But people have no problem, no problem with Dick Van Dyke's British face. Which is racist towards us, Britbongs. That's absolutely right. It reinforces uh, British stereotypes of uh, British people being happy, friendly, and outgoing. <laughs> and and you know what? We have to uh, uh, live in the world of, of hard realities. That British people are grumpy. I mean, the thing that they hate most in the world is other British people. <laughs> and honestly, this uh, this chimney sweep is nothing like that. And we all respect a stern nanny. Spit spot. Yeah, so Mary Poppins is... Uh, it, it, it turns England into sort of this playground, like this idea of England. I don't know. We're, how many people were actually British in this movie? Any? Do we know? Uh, I think most of them were, weren't they? Yeah. I mean, obviously not not, not Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Trying to, uh, how about the, the the uncle, the one who's like laughing and floats up to the ceiling? Is he? I think he, Edwin. I think he's American. Is he American? I don't know. I'm actually looking it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> What's your take on um, Mary Poppins and Nat? Do you think Mary Poppins is there for the children or the or the banker or the father? Well, by, I mean by banker. So my my take on this is that. Uh, by the way, Mary Poppins is played by an English woman, so that's that's nice. She's cute too in this movie. <laughs> I think it's sort of like the single dad version of the manic pixie girlfriend. You know what I'm talking about? This trope. No, do explain that. Uh, so the manic pixie girlfriend is a trope where, like, a guy who's sort of a he's like an everyman. Maybe he's down on his luck. Maybe not. But he sort of has a ho hum life. And then a, a woman makes her entrance who she has a lust for life and she's quirky and interesting and she's going to bring this guy sort of on an adventure and he's going to become a more whole person a more complete person uh through her and of course she is also going to be like the love of his life breakfast at tiffany's 
is sort of like this. Yeah, but he's not he's not a single dad though, is he? Because um do you remember his wife's character? She's a suffragette. Oh, I actually don't remember that. I thought he was I thought he was. <laughs> she was too busy suffragetting to look after her own children. I mean, that's basically the <laughs> is isn't that like the uh equivalent of being a single dad? That's probably why I don't even yeah, like, yeah, I remember think her character well. at all. A suffragette. Ugh. Jesus Christ. I mean, yeah, so these kids don't have a mom. They don't have a mom. Uh, they have a social justice warrior. Do they portray the suffragette in a positive light? I guess they have to, right? Like, why wouldn't they, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's like, you know, the the whole idea of having someone who is not a parent, like, take care of children is is just a little bit creepy, you know? It's like not even a privilege because it's it's... It, it, it's it, they're being raised by someone who is not your your kin i think only has a negative effect on the psychology of some people and that maybe that's why our elites are so incredibly messed up in the head because they were all raised by like these nannies who were definitely not mary poppins my dude they were definitely not these beautiful blue-eyed whimsical people they're probably like these overweight people from a from a place whose whose name you can't even pronounce uh and and if they speak english at all they do so poorly <laughs> with poor <laughs> syntax and uh and a strange accent and so how could you possibly not be uh alienated from your own people because one you have the class separation but more importantly you have this kind of cultural separ separation of your uh of your of your nanny raising you um so yeah, that's <laughs> the, the the suffragette mom going off and doing her important business of uh, getting women more rights so that maybe one day they can have a nanny raise their kids just like the suffragette does. Exactly. And this is 100% in line with Song of the South, a beautiful, innocent, pure and non-racist film. Yeah. Is it, did you actually get to the bottom of where, what was actually racist about the, about Song of the South. Yeah, so Song of the South is bizarrely and insanely uh, prevented from release by Disney because it's just too racist to release. It's just the people can't see it. If they see it, their eyeballs will disintegrate, their tongue will explode, and their brain will boil from all of the racism. <laughs> so let's just talk about what uh what song of the south is about uh i i feel like most people know what mary poppins is about if not just just watch it it's a cultural touchstone god's sake just watch it there's some great songs in it uh mary poppins yeah yeah, yeah there's some great songs in mary poppins and dick van dyke is always a, a joy isn't he <laughs> <laughs> he's a joy it's like you're not British, is Well, Americans love the Cockney accent. I don't even know. Do people even have... We're not talking about Song of the South. Let's go back to Mary Poppins. Do people even have a Cockney <laughs> accent in England? Uh, yes, but they all, they all live in Essex now. They fled London. For real? Yeah. There's got to be like 200 people yeah. with a Cockney accent even alive on the planet now. Because it's yeah. like... I've never even heard it in real life. I've only heard it in impressions. <laughs> you you will... You, like I say, you will if you go to Essex. Because they kind of fled um, fled east east from london now i i know that you are actually from senegal but do you know if uh do english people get annoyed whenever someone does an english accent and it's a it's always a cockney accent basically what it is it's not so much that it's like 
if someone if someone's doing a bad accent, your your bar for a bad accent is like, is it is it better or worse than Dick Van Dyke's? <laughs> you just basically have a Dick Van Dyke scale. Oh, okay. So if you do a good Cockney accent, and it's like, all right, fine. At least it's something that real people use. But if <laughs> If you can barely uh, acquire even that, you know, okay, I get it. Yeah, so you have like a sort of a... Yeah, this, this is Dick Van Dyke levels. Right, I can imagine the, the, the line graph here is sort of like a, a, a logarithmic curve, and then there's sort of like a horizontal line like uh, Dick Van Dyke's accent, and if you can get above that, then you're, you're good to go. Okay, I'll remember that. I'll remember that next yeah. time I go to Paraguay. <laughs> Okaldokal. So Song of the South is about... It takes place... <laughs> It takes place on a plantation in the South, uh, whilst uh, slavery was still happening. I think is it because it's it's not actually laid out whether or not it's during slavery, is it? Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's kind of ambiguous, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, for anyone who might not be aware, like after slavery was abolished, a lot of of uh, blacks just continued to live with their employers. I guess you could say, um, except they were yeah. now. Uh, paid and they were they didn't have to like be slaves so <laughs> they I guess <laughs> they could do what they wanted um, so of course you know those businesses quickly dissolved it's also tiresome so the story of this is that you kind of have a um, kindly uncle sort of figure he's a, he's a black guy he is uh, telling stories to mostly the uh, the, the white children kind of the, the 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 children of the proprietors of the plantation as well as uh, a little black boy who is i guess he's part of the slaves right the the white kids are sort of they're dressed very nice they sort of look like uh, uh english aristocrats to my eye or or perhaps what you'd think of when you think of colonial garb like in the painting of the yeah. signing of the declaration of independence and the uh the black people are wearing sort of like, you know, just sort of what you think of when you think of like country yokels. The black guy, the way that he talks is like, all, well, all, all the characters who are black or, or have black voice actors in this movie, it's basically like if you've ever heard like the, oh, lordy, lordy, lord, like that kind of uh, impression. It's, it, which is sort of the cockney of, uh, <laughs> of, of black folk. <laughs> well, I think I think that's like you know, like the Cockney is the go to go to English accent. I think like the Southern accent is like the go to American accent, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's like the go to stupid person accent. <laughs> and 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 I don't do that anymore since I understand more about actually how intelligence is distributed. It's actually not distributed geographically, and and you know a, a lot of the. Um, but what we think of as the black vernacular, the black accent, is derived from so many, almost all black people in America having their their roots in the deep south. And of course, you know, black people all over the world they have their own vocal structures and whatnot. And so this is sort of their take on southern vernacular and southern accents. Although I would say nowadays the kind of like go to black voice is sort of like thug gangsta kind of thing. Like if you're going to do the black thing, right? Mm. But I think for a long time it was this uh, Mark Twain-ish, like, deep and dumb, hook, deep and dumb, that kind of, uh, you know, loud, loud kind of thing. And, you know, black people also, they make they make fun of this. They make reference to this as well. Um, but that's sort of like what you can expect from the black uh, characters in this film. And 
Uh, I don't know if that was done as a, hey, this is in the South and you're black people, so act this way. I don't know if that was an embellishment that was chosen or if that's just how, you know, a lot of black people were in the uh, in the 50s. You know, if they were trying to, I mean, obviously, you know, it had been like 100 years since the Civil War. Black people were now distributed all over the continent. But if they had a grandparent, you know, who was from the South, Maybe some of the this uh, this persona was kind of derived from them. I don't know how embellished this is or how cartoonish it is, but to a, a modern eye, it looks very embellished and very cartoonish, which is appropriate since this is also another live action animation film where uh, our kindly black uncle figure walking amidst cartoon birds and such, just like Mary Poppins, in fact, just like Mary Poppins. Uh, one notable thing from this movie, uh, especially the fact that it's banned by Disney, is that uh, the song Zippity Doodah came from it? Did you have you heard of the song Zippity Doodah? I know the song Zippity Doodah, but I don't know the um, cultural significance of it and how that is because because that's supposed to be racist. The racist part, isn't it? Well, well, Zippity Doodah is a famous and commonly an oft uh, it's an oft repeated song. I mean, I remember being in grade school and we would have with our teacher we'd have a music sort of time where he would play piano. And we would have a song to sing with him and we would do like, you know, like once or twice a week, we'd have music time where we would, we would sing. Zippity Doodah was, was one of the songs we would sing. Mm. I think a lot of people don't realize that it comes from this movie or that it is a movie song. You also had no idea you're engaging in casual racism either, did you not? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll explain how this scene, like why it's regarded as racist, because honestly, I didn't, I mean, I am... A social justice warrior and i couldn't even find any hint of racism in the scene i mean do you have an idea yeah do, do you so you didn't you didn't discern any racism from this either no uh no not at all um but i do understand that apparently it's zippity doodah that's the problematic part but i cannot see why <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a mystery. I mean, to me, um, so so I watched this for this episode, right? And I was interested in this because it is taboo. It is verboten. I've seen maybe every Disney film of uh, the 2D era, at least all the classics, but of course had never seen this one. So I thought it was going to be like egregious. But what I think now is that maybe it's the themes of slavery, um, especially the idea that the black characters and the white characters get along, even though they have this like plantation owner, plantation worker, perhaps even plantation slave dynamic amongst them. There's a, a, a lot of contention around this in America, like the idea of were slaves unhappy, right? Now, I I don't really have an opinion on this. Uh, all I can really say is that I it, it's sort of something which is perhaps lost to history because <sighs> slavery is bad. I can say without any kind of uh, <laughs> reservation that sliver, slavery is bad. However, what were the conditions like? I mean, I, I think that with hundreds of years of slavery, there were probably instances of every kind of mistreatment that you could imagine. But what what percentage of, you know, if, if you could kind of quantify the conditions of slavery, uh, what what percentage were those were those things? You know, was it kind of like there are some movies that sort of portray it as like living in literal hell 
with everyone being raped and brutalized and and diminutized constantly. I mean, aside from the fact that slavery itself is a is a diminutizing state, um, lacking your freedom, but you know, is the day-to-day treatment, was that brutalizing? Was that diminutizing? Controversial opinion here, but like slave owners are people, which means obviously there must have been the whole spectrum of um, treatment of slaves from daily beatings to treating them fairly well, I would have thought. Right. I can't can't imagine that like, that the slave experience would have been like universally exactly the same. It would have been different because all all slave owners, like I say, would 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 have different personalities, wouldn't they? Exactly. And and what I can say is that modern interpretations or modern thoughts about it, um, especially the ones which are portrayed by Hollywood, are probably inaccurate. Like like let's use um something that everyone of every race can probably relate to. Think of something like Office Space. So. In Office Space, have you seen this one, Ham? No, I've no, I've never watched it. Okay, so in Office Space, it's basically about how sort of like the 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 modern day shackles is is a white collar job. Um, yeah. it's your cubicle, it's your crappy coworkers that you have to deal with. Um, it's the banality of uh, white collar life and how it does not uh, actually speak in any way to the soul. And if you were to watch this movie in two hundred years. You would think, wow, man, cubicles must have been the worst thing ever, and and white collar life must have been horrible. I mean, this—it's uh, not quite the same as something like Roots or Twelve Days a Slave, <laughs> but it does kind of cartoonize and explode like minor annoyances with white collar life, and in fact, is extremely like specific to the cultural uh, trends when that movie was made in the 90s like cubicles were uh it was extremely common for transgressive media of the 90s to demonize cubicles well even even back in the 80s i mean uh, quite a lot of films in the i remember i remember i probably couldn't name any but i remember scenes during the 80s would literally be the hero of the piece standing up shouting shouting rebelling and then leaving the office wouldn't it Right. I, I mean, I kind of associate with like cartoons and movies and stuff from the 90s. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was sort of a part of that. And I mean, white collar life is is sort of, you know, against the soul. It is it is against what makes us human. And it is a sig- it, uh, kind of a signifier of uh, of the way that we're going. Not to say that anyone listening with a white collar job should quit or or if you're pursuing a career that is white collar that you should stop. But, uh, you know, there's there's aspects of it which are uh, of all modernity, which is a problem. But in fact, like cubicles are actually great because if, you, if you're if you in an open office space, which pretty much everything is now, um, you don't have any privacy. It's actually far more diminutizing than, than cubicles ever were because now you're just sort of like, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> it's like a Stasi-type environment where everybody's looking over your shoulder. Is that, is that what you're yeah. saying, Matt? And you can hear every little conversation that everyone is having, uh, whether it's relevant to you or not. I mean, the idea is that an open office space allows people to share and allows more light to travel through the office. I mean, there's supposed to be all these advantages, but here's the red pill on, <laughs> on open office spaces. This was all pushed because open office spaces are easier to construct than cubicle spaces and you can cram like three times more people into an open office space than a cubicle office space so that's the reason this was all pushed in the first place because there were some 
SJWs of the 90s who said like who were going around to like employers and probably being paid by big businesses to give these seminars like if you have an open office space your employees will feel better and we took all these studies that said they're going to feel better and they were also told like oh and by the way you can also fit like three times more people in so not only will they be happier you're going to be more productive and make more money and we can get and we can guess which one the the employers heard <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and it reminds me of like slaves picking cotton. They're all shackled in a line. And a lot of these open office spaces, you're, there's just one big long desk going across the room. And then you have a station at that desk and you walk up to it and you might not even have a dedicated station. You have to like look, look at where there's an opening and you're, you know, you're, you're completely replaceable every day to day. Yeah. It is, uh, it is incredibly demeaning. Although I don't want to compare it to slavery because that would be a, a bridge too far. It is, uh, and, and, you know, people do use the term wage slave. Um, so it's, uh, it's not quite slavery. It's not quite prison, but it's, uh, office space takes a different office environment so that of the the 20th century and treats it as as though it's something really terrible and and the thing that we replaced it with is even worse so i wonder you know if we can even depict slavery in a realistic way like not our feelings about it not our more morals about it which are important to depict, but actually how it was. So whether or not this uh, a Song of the South is racist because it portrays these people on a plantation as all happy and they get along, whether or not that's racist, I think is... I'm just wondering though, Nick, because because when Time in the South was made, there's, there's a very good possibility there were still people alive who were actually slaves at the time. So so they'd they'd be more informed as to what the slave experience would be because they they possibly knew people that were ex-slaves possibly this was 90 years i think after the civil war ah uh, right so so it could have been like the next generation down then from that would yeah. have been around when it was made yeah exactly they, they we would we would already be one generation off yeah I would imagine that anyone who was alive like during the Civil War had all and was a slave had already died of sickle cell or uh, or diabetes. So they so they could have been at, at least at least people who who have heard off of their heard from their parents what slavery was actually like then. So so it would be better way better informed than a slave than a slave film made today, wouldn't it? I I think you might be right, although I don't really feel like black people were uh involved and also this was probably made in california so (laughs) you know (laughs) it's all i mean i think it's interesting that this is supposed to be uh, an ode this is an ode to the folk tales of the south so this is all about a kindly uncle uh black man telling stories to kids uh, uh that are actual folk tales from the south and what's interesting about these folk tales so so another aspect of this that people find racist is that one of the folk tales uh is about a cartoon rabbit again a rabbit uh interacting rabbit. with uh what's called a tar baby so a tar baby is kind of a i i think today uh, I don't think this was always the case. The tar baby is a racist term for like a black child. And, but in the story, the tar baby is a little uh, kind of person uh, made out of tar that's meant to distract the cartoon rabbit so that a cartoon, what is it, a fox, can eat him. And a bear, isn't it? So the rabbit uh, gets upset uh, when the tar baby does not respond 
to uh, his greetings. So he 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 launches straight into attacking this tar baby, and and therefore he is covered in tar. So he is so offended that the tar baby does not respond to him because it is a doll made out of tar. Um, that he just goes and tries to kill it on the spot, <laughs> and and therefore he's covered in tar. He can't move, and he is easy prey for the fox. And the harder it's, the more stuck he gets. Yep. <laughs> um, this folktale, actually, uh, nobody really knows where it's from. There's actually a lot of contention about whether or not black people stole this from Native Americans, or if Native Americans stole this from black people. Oh, I did not know this one. Yeah, so yeah, folklorists um, like kind of debate, oh, here's this, um, here's this folklore from Western Africa that uh, is similar. And then th- there's others who say, oh, well, here's this other Native American folklore that is similar. However, in, in colonial America, these these populations would have been interacting. I mean, even though they were they were highly uh, secluded from one another, they would have been interacting sometimes. And it's possible that these stories would have spread between these populations. So the original folktales of the of the Amerindians may not e- even have been invented by them. They may have have stole our culture. They might have stolen <laughs> black culture. But I think that it's interesting because there's uh I was reading a little bit about this in a shameful bout of pre-show research. Oh no. How dare you. There there's a saying in Africa. It's that the monkey eats hot peppers when there's trouble. <laughs> and and this this saying is kind of it's sort of like uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. It's basically the uh, the sentiment mm. behind that, um, and that's what this story is supposed to be about. So you know, it, the the rabbit needs to turn to trickery in order to get what he get out of a desperate situation. And so the story is kind of telling people, don't be a trickster like the rabbit. But if you gotta trick somebody, you gotta trick somebody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing I, fa- I found it. It's kind of, um, it's morally, they're morally ambiguous tales, aren't they? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, uh, sort of like Aladdin from the beginning of the movie, Aladdin, where he's like starving, so he's gotta steal bread, you know? It's that sort yeah. of a sympathetic attitude to wrongdoing, which sort of makes me think this started in Africa and that the Native Americans stole it from black people. I'm, that's the side <laughs> I'm going on. And I also think that is is probably the the wider consensus, uh, even though there is some debate. Makes sense to me. So, yeah. So, man, my jimmies are rustled. I am triggered from talking about all this racism. Why don't we... <laughs> cool down with our last movie cool world yeah i've never i've never had adhd but i think this is like um the nearest you can come to having it (laughs) or schizophrenia or something (laughs) cool world more like clown world yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so what did you think then that i've deliberately not asked you until the episode because I, I want the i want the uh the straight off the top of your head take on my this take film. was extremely close to yours i felt like i had a mental illness while watching this <laughs> um for some reason i thought like do i have a headache uh, did i drink too much coffee wait i didn't drink any coffee why why can't can't i pay attention to this why does it feel <laughs> like things are happening but they aren't registering in my mind like, why is this skipping over the part of my mind that, like, understands what's going on? 
All right, so let's talk about what this movie is for a second. So this is a this stars Brad Pitt, Kim Basinger. Uh, Brad Pitt, I, I think this is sort of the advent of his career. Uh, this was 1992. Um, I'll I'll just talk about the opening sequence, which is such a mind fuck that I can't even like. So he 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 just. <laughs> Brad Pitt has just come back from World War II. He uh, reunites with his mother, the only person he has in the universe. Uh, They're living together. He just gets a motorcycle that he won in Italy. Apparently, you can take motorcycles back from Europe with you after you win a war. (laughs) And uh, he's riding in this beautiful motorcycle with his mother. Some uh, drunk freewheeling, freewheeling degenerates crash into his motorcycle while his mom is riding bitch. And she dies and he he immediately gets like ptsd he thinks he's back in the war and he's freaking out uh, i mean it's the most absurd uh, also kind of beautiful acting from brad pitt it, it, it stands somewhere between the absurd and the beautiful um and he is sucked into kind of a 90s style degenerate cartoon world and now he's a detective does time have no meaning or has he been there for like 50 years it's not a question that gets answered, but it's just an interesting question to ask. Right. So it starts in the 40s, and then and then we fast forward to the 90s, uh, the contemporary era of when the film was made. And you have another person, a uh, comic book artist, um, who's also sucked into the cartoon world. So the lore behind this is kind of interesting. So... I always had the impression, because this movie was heavily, heavily advertised. In fact, the Hollywood sign had uh, an enormous cutout of the main girl who was used for most of the advertising, this beautiful blonde who's uh, basically the image of Kim Basinger. Holly, Hollywood. <laughs> who's, whose name is Hollywood. The character's name is Hollywood. was just spelled differently. Um, so Hollywood is placed up on the Hollywood sign and she's this like hypersexualized, like she puts Jessica Rabbit to shame in terms of sexualization. And apparently this offended all the uh, 90s era SJWs of uh, L.A. The advertising was so, so enormous. There was even a video game. I have no idea what's in this game. I I, I, uh, I wanted to look it up, but I didn't. I, I can't believe there was a game made about this because this movie is like not childish. It's not for kids. So this came out four years out of who after Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I think that it's trying to play off the immense success of that of that movie but it it flopped this this was not an immense success it flopped but it also it doesn't have the same um production sensibilities does it it's it's like we were talking about earlier where you can literally imagine like um brad pitt was standing on his own in a warehouse somewhere and they were filming him and just chucked everything in after oh yeah 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 so we we talked about how amazing the the production values of Hugh Frame Roger Rabbit were. That is not the case in this movie. And in fact, it's not the case in uh, Mary Poppins or Song of the South either. They're all kind of. Sl- I mean, Who Frame Roger Rabbit was a tour de force in in terms of combining the, the figmentary and and the real. These other movies are. It's kind of laughable. It's very. Str- but it adds to the surrealness of it. I mean, so when I saw the advertising for this movie, I thought that it was going to be about like a schlubby comic book artist guy, like an everyman uh, '90s guy who gets sucked into the comic book world that he created. That is not the case. The lore behind this movie is that this is a cartoon world that exists parallel to our own separated from time 
And so when this dude from the 40s gets sucked into it, he doesn't age anymore. But it's not like 50 years have passed either. He simply um, exists in a world that has access to all places and all times in the real world simultaneously. So you think it's an acronal world then? Oh, that's very... I've never heard that term before, but yes. I just, I just exactly made it right. up, that's why. Whoa, amazing. <laughs> um, maybe uh, a, a, a temporal a chronal, I like that though. Yeah, but you do get the feeling he's been there for a little while because he's actually a police officer there, isn't he? Right. So some time has passed from the beginning of the movie where he originally gets sucked into the cartoon world, like while he's mourning his mother's death, when we see the '90s guy get sucked in. So a time yeah. skip happens. We don't know how it happens, but this is clearly very, very, very inspired by Who Framed Roger Rabbit because our main character, played by Brad Pitt is also a detective just like bob hoskins from uh who framed roger rabbit although i think he's a private eye in roger rabbit same same difference you've you've got holly who's a, a jessica rabbit analog don't you exactly she's a bombshell yeah you also uh have all these cartoon characters but they're not like licensed cartoon characters like roger rabbit it's all like if you just look at comic books the 80s, especially the 90s. I mean, the motif, like the visual art style of this is, I'm not going to say, oh, this movie's so 90s. That's stupid. The 90s had a very wide variety of motifs and art styles and, and themes. But this is one of the art styles that like only existed in the 90s. But it's also that weird thing where the, where the heads float across the, the screen, don't they? Do you, do you remember those Everything bits? is grotesque and surreal it's 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 like meant to freak you out and gross you out at the same time that it's meant to entertain you and make you laugh so it's this sort of there was sort of in the 90s this like idea that everyone's kind of an imp like we're all just sort of these mischievous cute little uh, crazy little monsters aren't we? we're all these crazy little monsters right we're all just these messed up crazy little little cartoon monsters and that's kind of reflected on a lot of the uh adult animation of the time which mm. had a lot of like little devils and imps and aliens and you know calvin uh, from calvin and hobbs peeing on something or bart simpson you know all all these like little mischievous uh cartoon um, characters. what was the most one with the chihuahua that would be ren and stimpy the one yeah because this is kind of very similar to ren, ren and stimpy in tone isn't it yeah i would say so i i it goes it goes a little bit further even then Ren and Stimpy, like there's yeah. there's one part where <laughs> where uh, one character he's falling from a building and he comes towards the camera. You go through his mouth, through his like digestive tract, and you see like an old man and a boy inside there. I don't know <laughs> if that's a reference to uh, what Jonah and the whale. Uh, Pinocchio. Oh, Pinocchio. There you go. But it wasn't Pinocchio in there. It was just a young boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then you go out his butthole, and then the camera sort of turns around so that you. I don't even know if it turns around like it. It's very surreal. Like you're suddenly looking at his butthole, um, even though logically that's not how it would work. You're, you wouldn't be facing up and then suddenly facing down. Anyway, you're you're watching his butthole fly away from you as he falls uh, off the building uh, further. And and there's just like weird stuff floating around the screen at any given time. Uh, uh, some of the animation isn't even done. It's just pen pencil sketches. They don't even color it in. Uh, I, I get the feeling that maybe this film didn't ha ha have the, the cleanest production 
a lot of the animations not blended well. The soundtrack. Do you, do you remember much of the stuff from the soundtrack? It was all like, um, it was a like really like hardcore like nineties techno. Yeah, honestly, it? it was so generic. I it didn't even register in my brain. It was so generic. I that that kind of music is is just the utter worst to me. It's it's like I just regard <laughs> it as the generic background music that you would play whenever you want there to be an upbeat vibe. You know? Yes. Yeah. It was really the dubstep of its time. It's like it doesn't leave any kind of 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 impact on you. Uh, it's just there to fill up the uh, the silence. Um, this this world also has no kind of attachment to. I mean, you said uh, a a chronal, a temporal. I think it's purely the Brad the Brad Pitt character that makes you think that because just nothing's explained about right. It, is it? But also, like Who Framed Roger Rabbit does feel like it takes place at a certain time. Like it feels like 1930s New York or something, right? Yeah, it's absolutely. But Cool it? World is just sort of a. Uh, it, it's just sort of a. It looks like a tattoo. It's like some. It's some kooky thing you would get tattooed, and it's it's not even like referencing anything real. Everything is just uh, is just crazy. It's 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 very violent. You have moments of darkness where it seems like someone might like get eviscerated um, that you wouldn't have in like something like Roger Rabbit. Um, even though we said that Roger Rabbit is a little darker than most like Disney stuff. Uh, that's why it was released by Touchstone. And that is true. This is a totally different animal. Uh, this was not released by Disney. I think I think it was Paramount, right? Yeah, and there's that weird subplot about like um, normal people can't have sex with tunes. Or, right. I don't know. What is it? It, it turns the tunes human or that's something? That's right. So uh, the kind of like one law in... <laughs> I don't know. He's a, he's a detective or a police officer, Brad Pitt, but you don't know what he's actually uh, he's doing. So it seems like the only thing he's meant to do is prevent cartoons from having sex with real people. That's like the, his only yeah. job. Yeah, because I, I think his job's just to turn up. You know, because obviously, um, I think it's kind of implied that that normal people pop in and out, don't they? So it's it's nothing that's happened more than once right isn't it? they talk about noids uh in in the movie and noids are their their cool edgy 90s term for uh for humans in the cartoon world i guess it's supposed yeah. to be like humanoids yeah and uh and it reminds me of yo noid who was also like a 90s uh character he was the uh mascot for i, I think domino's pizza for a little while i like that character i like the video game he was into anyway another cartoon character oh, another rabbit uh needs to go to the police because uh this cute little bunny has been grifted by some street hooligans the character actually goes to the police like these kooky like little impish looking police people and uh does not go to someone like brad pitt so brad pitt i think is like a private investigator or a detective or something who isn't a part of the system but they never clarify nothing's like really super clarified in this movie literally nothing is clarified there's like almost no plot really right well i kind of found that the film's kind of it's split up into about uh into quarters maybe it's like the well no i would not not even that it's like it's like you've got the start bit with brad pitt you've got literally anything happens and then the like the last quarter of the film is where they finally put a plot into it and resolve yeah, it so if you think of something like you have a protagonist and then you have a conflict and then you have a conflict resolution that doesn't happen in this movie 
That doesn't happen in this movie. It's just random crap popping out of the screen at you constantly. Something crazy will happen and you'll be like, what was the significance of that? But before you can even sort of digest it, another thing is happening. You've got a floating head across the screen. Yes. And I think the reason for this is that animation is expensive and they had to cut down on the amount of animation as much as they possibly could. So when they want to show something on the screen, they can't really indulge in it and show it for like a full 20 seconds. They have to show it for like three seconds. And it's like, oh, I have an idea for a bit of animation. Yeah, and there's quite a few bits that look like they were reused as well, That's weren't That's what they? I thought, but I wasn't totally sure. I thought they were reusing stuff. So clearly they were trying to cut corners. And it's, I guess, a good thing they did because this movie really did flop. It really did bomb. And uh, <laughs> it wasn't worth even the amount that they put into it. I, I wish I had watched this movie before, though, because it is so crazy. It is so crazy. And it's so raunchy, um, but it's not quite Felix the Cat raunchy. It's just sort of like uh, teehee, edgy raunchy. There's no nudity. Oh, did you want? Did you want the figures for the budget in the box office? Yeah, I looked. The at budget it. was thirty million, and the box office was fourteen point one. Yeah, and you can typically consider that. Uh, I mean, the advertising budget for this was probably more than the budget of the movie. Usually, it's about the same amount, yeah. but in this case, I feel like it must have been fifty million at least especially with that Hollywood sign that they put up. It was like a 75-foot-tall uh, a woman next to a Hollywood sign. Well, there was also, um, I think it had quite a good run-in. Like, I, mem- I remember seeing ad- ads for it in comics that I used to read at the time. I saw as well. ads for it all over the place. I mean, I was very, very yeah. aware of this, even though I didn't see it. It seemed like something I would want to consume, but I didn't understand what the story might be looking at the advertising. There was just the sexy girl. Do you understand what the story is now you've watched it now? <laughs> Not completely. Not completely. <laughs> I even like read the plot synopsis on Wikipedia to see if like maybe they could piece it together a little bit better, like quantify it a little bit better, but no. No, it just doesn't make sense. But it is a film worth watching just to just to it's a spectacle. Well, isn't at it? times the uh, I would say that the animation is very good and I'm like, wow, this is this actually looks incredible. This is some really cool art. And other times it looks so bad. It looks so bad. I mean, like I said, some of the animation isn't quite done. It's just like pencil sketches and it, it it's like blended in with other stuff that isn't pencil sketches. So it, it doesn't look <laughs> like stylistic. Also, the way that they they blend the humans and animation together is like very fake looking. Like you see the the sometimes they'll do an angle that really emphasize it, it looks like they're on a Broadway stage. Like the matte paintings in the background look so fake. Mm. It's like they're just sitting on a bench that's like you you can almost see the plywood nailed to the matte painting. It's uh there don't seem to be any kind of like laws of physics there in, in the fact that sometimes somebody will pick up the phone and it'll be a normal phone, and sometimes they'll pick up the phone and it'll be a cartoon phone, won't right. it? Right. And also the themes of the cartoon world are not like they don't give you an idea of like, oh, this is that this is what kind of world this is. Like Brad Pitt will be smoking a cigarette and then he'll blow the cigarette smoke out and then the smoke will turn into a dancing hippo yeah (laughs) or like a cartoon character will be dancing around and he'll just be saying something like burned burned semi-burned like just something random like that (laughs) it's almost like it only exists to confuse you there is no 
point to what's going on. It's just literally the craziest and weirdest and most difficult to understand stuff. Like I say, until the last 20 minutes, and then all of a sudden it develops a story and a plot and everything gets resolved, doesn't it? Yeah, it, they, they, they do some kind of like more conventional movie plot but the, before that, but even when when they uh, when they do introduce a plot, the rules of the plot don't make any sense. Kim Basinger's character turns from a cartoon into actual Kim Basinger, and uh, she nips through a nightgown. FYI. <laughs> but when she goes into the real world, she like turns into a clown. I guess because she just stepped into clown world from Cool World. <laughs> The comic book artist that she's with, who, by the way, even though he drew Kim Basinger's cartoon character form, uh, like as a uh, as a comic book artist, and he made his comic book called Cool World, which is what this other dimension is called. He didn't create Cool World. He was like telepathically linked to it. So that's strange and not explained. But anyway, when they go into the real world, for some reason, the comic book guy, even though he is from the real world, he like transforms also. So Kim Basinger turns into a clown, and he turns into, like, Bob Hoskins from Super Mario. I think that's something to do with the fact that they had sex, isn't it? That That's why everything's freaking out, isn't right. it? Right. So for some inexplicable reason, when a real person has sex with a cartoon, all of reality destroys itself and unfurls itself. You, you'd think that this would have happened sooner if humans regularly transport into, uh, into the, the, the cartoon world, and vice versa, and vice versa. Yeah. Cartoons also go into the real world occasionally, but but this is rect- rectifiable. There is an artifact. There is some artifact called the spike, the MacGuffin, the MacGuffin that can that can fix all of this. It, it sort of just controls the interdimensional connection between Cool World and the real world. I I actually really like this, um, even though it's crazy and it made me feel like I had drank too much coffee uh, because my mind couldn't hold on to a thought while I was watching it. Um, I I still am really glad that I finally watched this movie that I saw so much advertising for, but also that it's like this completely crazy. I wouldn't even say it's an acid trip. It's it's like a too much caffeine trip. It's like a caffeine headache. Uh, like you, I mean, I, I you put it perfectly at the opening of this segment. Like it is, uh, it is like what you would imagine having serious serious ADHD is like. <laughs> but I loved it. It was a fun ride. What what did you think? Did you like this? Uh, yeah, I, um, I don't know. It's it's it, to be honest. I mean, I'm shell shocked. Probably the <laughs> the main takeaway from it. <laughs> it's yeah. It's it's. I, I I don't think it's a film you either like or dislike. I think it's just a film you consume and attempt to digest but you never quite do do you i could say the same thing for this episode sir hem i'd like to thank you yet again for recording with me today no problem that and i'd like to thank all of our listeners as well until next time my dudes stay dope people running by me on the street lights just like the way